something I don't really know, I'm just kind of mouthing words and talking in theories, and you're also going to feel that. Or if I'm speaking from experience or something that, that I trust, that I know, that I love, then that also has its effect on how you, you receive it, your experience of it. So you in reflective meditation, actually, you know, using your your conscious experience as a kind of barometer, a kind of instrument to to observe experience. And then the the aim of it is to take refuge in that which is uh, truly aware, in the awareness, the refuge in the Buddha, the awakened state of being right now. So 
uh, your refuge is in this attentiveness, this, this uh, awakeness, awareness of the present, and then you're aware of emotional state of mind or physical, uh, your physical state right now, and physically what you can be aware of what you're experiencing with pleasure, pain, heat and cold. So the, uh, you can be aware of pleasure, pain, you can be aware of posture, you can be aware of, of just the pressure, the, the physical physical experience of the present, the quality of the mind at this moment, the emotional, the emotion that one is experiencing in the present, thoughts, and so forth, and then you, the memories that, that arise and that, and that which is aware is a refuge. The awareness is your refuge. And I say, don't believe this, you have to test it out. It's up to you to prove whether I'm this, uh, a, a man with a lot of hot air, whether I'm actually talking about something that's true and realistic and practical. I think one reason why I like uh, to sit in this uh, temple so much because it is so still and quiet. And you can really feel just immediately when I come in this place a, a stillness, a really pleasant sense of silence uh, pervade this uh, temple. So that, that's exactly what I wanted the temple to be when I first had the idea of uh, this came into my mind even before anything started. So it does help in establishing in a physical place that say that we come to that we just uh, that uh, the main purpose of it is this awareness, isn't it? It's not we don't eat in here. We don't socialize in here. We don't have, uh, you know, it's not a place where we show videos or play games. And it's purpose, it's kind of purity of space, isn't it? We don't come in here to, for the reasons, uh, just to, to uh, the unwholesome reasons. The reason why we come in here is to remind ourselves of refuge in Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha. So just that, contemplating the use of a building like this. Uh, remember when we, we, we used the sala for all these years, uh, where, you know, we eat and we have meetings and gruel meetings and bagel 
mornings and conferences and and uh, tea and all that uh, show videos in there. So it's it has the ghosts of many many functions in it. To sit there and smell uh, boiled cabbage and whatnot. The odor, uh, odors of the cooking kind of hang over the the uh, sala. I mean, one that's a fair enough. It doesn't. That's not really an obstruction or an obstacle to enlightenment or meditation. <coughs> but it does have a different atmosphere than this. So we notice this how atmospheres. Uh, affect consciousness uh, and this is we can we can uh, come we can think we have to have a, an atmosphere like this in order to really practice you know have a really pure space in order to really develop mindfulness and then we get stuck in attachment to to the idea of of purity and then when we're in the cellar, we, we think well, it's impossible to do anything in that cellar. <coughs> because we're attached to, to an idea that, uh, that, that, that the, we have to depend upon the, the purest and the best in order to really do it. But that's another opinion in view. And the point is to see is to wherever we are, in whatever space or can state of mind we happen to be in, whoever we're with, <coughs> the, the, we can always pay attention, awaken to the moment. I've noticed in, in my own development over the years, uh, you know, just the the, uh, the ability to practice alone much better than than uh, to live in a community. Because when I'm alone, uh, I I feel quite safe in a little hut or cootie or someplace where nobody is uh, looking at me and and there's no kind of I don't feel any kind of pressure from anything around me. I'm, I'm kind of outside of that experience where the, the social pressures or the uh, other things uh, uh, that influence me are there. So I can feel a sense of safety and, rela and relaxation and ease in being alone. Then in in the, the uh, it's always people that uh, that bring the it seems like social situations bring tensions into my mind and body. Having to be with people, having to to uh, talk to them or just be around them, teach them, whatever. It, the, the the tensions and the the habits of of anxiety tend to easily come into 
uh, into existence. Because as a social being, there's a lot, the, the, the habits of a lifetime, fears of rejection, what will people say, what do they think, and, uh, and then you can proje- I can project, it's like how people look, and if they look happy or unhappy, I can take it all personally. You look happy right now, I think, well, you know, makes me feel good. If you look kind of angry and upset, then I can feel that too. Though that the people around me, the way they walk and move and look and react and that affect the conscious experience. So the challenge has been to have this attention in 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 both places, when alone or in in a crowd, in a group, as a member of a group, or as a leader of a group, or whatever uh, position one is uh, acting in, the, the point of it is the awakened attention, even to this feeling of stress or anxiety or self-consciousness or fear that one might be experiencing. Not in order to get rid of it, not to just thinking to be mindful to get rid of things, because then there's that, that desire to get rid of something is, is, uh, some, it makes it impossible for us. With the Vodanha, desire to get rid of anxiety, that in itself is, uh, perpetuates that problem if we attach and follow that desire to resist or get rid of. So in, in, uh, in say, metta pavana, this unconditioned love, this openness, totally accepting the moment and everything in it for exactly what it is without any strings attached or any conditions. Now I find it, in my, I'm alone in my kuti, uh, spreading metta to sentient beings throughout the universe is a lot easier than when I'm with a group of people. Some are, you know, are difficult to feel metta for. The, the metta is easy to spread to, to giraffes and elephants, whales. To uh, establishment figures or people that really, you know, group, people that we don't like, it gets more difficult. But this, this metta then isn't conditioned that we have to like anybody. Doesn't mean we have to like things at all. But it means this metta or unconditioned love is, 
is is a natural state when we're of, of just pure attention and accepting whatever, whatever is a mental state in you know in your uh, an emotion in your in your mind or somebody else. It, it's accepting, totally accepting without conditions, making any conditions, any arrangements, making any judgments. So, so that the this metta is is a, is a important way of relating to to everything, to all conditioned phenomena. When people talk about love, and love is a word that uh, you know is is used. Uh, Sometimes we think it's a, like falling in love, kind of romantic love, where we we're kind of besotted or obsessed by somebody else, or we we feel you know somebody else, some some other person is, we want to be with them, and we think about them all the time. That's love. Or we we think of it as liking somebody, having a kind of warm affection for somebody. We really heart to heart, loving, intimate relationship sounds very nice. We talk about love in that respect, <clears throat> but then we we get into like in Christianity or love your enemies, and that was always the interesting one. How can you love your enemy? You can't feel affection, or feel intimate with them. You mean if somebody's your enemy, you don't want to be in the same room with them. Somebody wants to kill you, how can you love them? <laughs> and then you then you can put it into a kind of category that well that's a very high state uh that you 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 actually <clears throat> have to feel some kind of warm, affectionate feeling for them, which you, you, you know you can't possibly generate at this moment. But then maybe love isn't like that. Maybe affection isn't really love, or intimacy isn't really love, or liking isn't really love. Maybe love is much greater than any of that. This is just questioning, you know, inquiring into this word, like unconditioned love, metta, Christian love. These these words are getting beyond a personal uh, involvement or judgment or a a personal relationship with anyone into a universal. Total acceptance of whatever doesn't mean approval, like like now we have this Pinochet uh, uh, in uh, this problem with uh, with the uh, general Pinochet in in uh, here in 
uh, England and the, time, and the Spanish want to ex- have asked to extradite him into Spain to be tried as a as a criminal genocide and torture in Chile and then all this problem about this old man uh, old dictator and then the, the Chilean government's trying to get him back to Chile and it's all a big a kerfuffle around this uh, this old man <coughs> who's uh, led uh, in many ways a very unskillful life and desire to to uh, you know kind of punish him have justice done so we can you know there's a side of me that totally agrees with that you know that that uh, this was he was responsible for the torture uh, death of thousands of people and he should have to pay for it and I'm quite I can understand that that mindset I am very conditioned to think like that myself and we, we can, you know I can see how you know wanting to uh, to uh, punish criminals and evil people wanting to do uh, I can feel rev- you know the desire for revenge I can feel uh, you know a desire to get even or to see justice done like the goddess nemesis this uh, kind of righteous goddess with you know that uh, wants to punish and see that you don't get away with anything that you're punished for your sins there's justice uh, this kind of image I can understand and then there's uh, mercy and uh, there's justice and compassion <laughs> these, these words uh, and they're different ways of looking at something uh, justice very much is a is a is a is a, is a, is a feeling of wanting to, to to make sure that things go right we, the, the, the problems of right and wrong to, to punish what is wrong and to uh, promote what is right mercy is, uh, is also uh, means that uh, it, even if something's wrong we can still be merciful to those who are sinners and criminals and then ex and uh, uh, monsters and dictators and corrupt politicians and so forth kindness mercy or compassion so these are different ways of relating to conditioned phenomena I contemplate this in my own mind. I, you know, the, the, the righteous, indignant tendency I have. Don't let him get away with it. 
you know, we've got him now. He should pay for all the terrible things that he's done. <coughs> and we want to resolve this problem. We want to make sure that that this doesn't happen again. And then there's, well, he is an old man and, and, and uh, he's sick and he has, you know, there in one can find certain things that he did finally give up his dictatorship and, and eventually uh, kind of allowed democratic uh, institutions to take over the country of Chile and went on like this and we can rationalize and, and see, you know, that uh, the human side and they be more merciful and forgiving. This is one, another way of looking at it. But to really get to the root of this, we have to look at it inside our own mind, not just take sides on, the, on an idea of justice or mercy, but begin to really know those, those very energies as, as, they, as they arise, as they happen to be in, in your own consciousness. And so, like like uh, self-righteousness, I find, uh, as, as experience, when I really, when I'm in a, a very righteous mood, uh, and uh, and I remember to pay attention to this, this 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 emotion, this mental state. Yeah, I can really contemplate this sense of it's a kind of tense, it's a it's a tension in the body. As uh, best as I can explain, explain it, because it is it's an emotion, isn't it? Uh, you can feel this, feel it in your whole being, wanting to see justice done and feeling very right. It's very definitely right and true and it should be like this. And that kind of energy of kind of righteous indignation, very strong. Somebody like myself has suffered a lot from that in, in my life, righteous indignation. I can also see how if I just believe that alone and just, you know, have no reflective ability and completely believe my righteousness, I can be quite cruel. I can be quite blind and insensitive. So I lack mercy. I have no mercy because I'm, you know, I'm full of Righteousness. <clears throat> this is what, what I found through my own investigations of these emotions. Mercy and compassion is just a kind of sentiment also is makes uh, everything kind of wishy-washy and wet. 
No, it becomes kind of whiny. Well, nobody's perfect, and we must, you know, be kind, and and uh, all that. We can, and it gets into a kind of uh, stickiness. If 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 mercy only remains a sentiment in the kind of a. Uh, becomes only sentimental in it as an idea. So it's not not to to just be caught in in a, in a kind of wishy-washy sentimental attitude about love and mercy and and compassion, but to really. Uh, experience uh, mercy is a, uh, a compassion, a total acceptance of suffering, of pain, of your own body, of your own mind, as, as well as everyone else. And when we contemplate what it's like, what, you know, the, the uh, in, in our own life, just the, the things that I've done, uh, cruel and insensitive things that I've done in my life. <clears throat> and then there's, uh, I still remember them. I can still remember a good, a good I mean, a lot of the, the cruel and uh, insensitive things, stupid things I've done in my life. And so those memories, you know, are, uh, you realize, uh, if you have no understanding of the nature of the mind, have no refuge in the Dhamma, then, then say, when you get older, you get stuck with these memories. You know, they, and you have to, you have to really resist it. You know, you have to, to really, you know, take up drink or drugs or do something to, to just blot it out. And live in fear and paranoia. So that, you know, criminals and people that, do, that have uh, never been punished punish themselves. So that it's not not a matter of uh, that that we punish because we punish them because nobody's going to get away with anything anyway. Because we have to punish ourselves if nobody else does it. And then uh, recognizing how, you know, that this, then we feel, we begin and seeing how we can, uh, we have to have this metta even for our own horrible memories. Meaning, uh, the memories we have of, of unwholesome things that we've done in the past. To have metta for those memories means a total acceptance of them rather than a resistance or a judgment. Like as soon, as soon as you try to get rid of them, 
resist them, deny them, then they get stronger and stronger. This is how I, what happens to me. The more I resist, the stronger those things get. It's through non-resistance, through, which is metta, this love, this uh, willingness to totally accept something for what it is, either a mental state or, or a physical, whether it's a, a person, place or thing, whatever, a con- all conditioned phenomena, this sense of unconditioned love. Or loving your enemies, which doesn't mean you like them or want to be with them or feel affectionate or even wish them well. It means that you're, that you're willing to accept in your consciousness the perception of an enemy and not create anger, hatred, and resentment onto it anymore. And this is, takes mindfulness and, uh, and wisdom, compassion, Patience. Anyway, try this out in your own practice. To, to mind like resistance. You know, this, this I'm speaking from experience. Resistance, denial, uh, just trying to get away from, get rid of, or dread anything. That whole, those kind of mental states of just, uh, you know, dreading things to come into your mind. Dreading that some kind of unpleasant thoughts will come into your meditation. Uh, Fear of your own emotions, of your anger, or feelings, desires. Dreading that, wanting to get rid of it, uh, wanting to wanting it to go away if it's present. Uh, that's resistance and denial. This this, this kind of of uh, reaction. Notice it. What is it like? Is it suffering or not? And then the the mind of metta is like total acceptance. And it seems, you know, there's this dread that if I allow these things in, they'll take me over. If I allow these emotions or these memories or these thoughts into consciousness, they'll, they'll take me over and it'll just be lost in it. That's the fear, isn't it, of going crazy or, or being overwhelmed by it, lost in it. But the... But the miracle is that, well, in, with total acceptance, patience, that you're actually, when, the, when these conditions come, then you're <coughs> allowing them to go. No conditions, you're not, you're not inviting them in so they'll go. You're, you're allowing whatever is to be what it is arises and ceases. So you're developing wisdom, developing the, the baramis, the baramitas, 
patience, honesty, resolution, metta, upeka, unconditioned love, equanimity. And then, uh, then the magic is that when you, when you, when you have, have, have realized this, then when, thing, when things do cease in your mind, when they're gone, naturally gone, not because you, you got rid of them, but because they've gone, their nature is to go, then that state is bliss. The purity of your being. You really you're recognizing the mind in its natural state of purity, peaceful, bright, intelligent mind. So I offer this as a reflection for this evening and uh, encouragement to uh, uh, not despair <laughs> and uh, uh, you know, really uh, we forget this all the time but we can always remember it. I mean it's not like I, I you know, I, I, I did this years ago and I've never forgotten it. The trouble is that easy to forget, especially the challenges of, of life as you live it. You know, you have to, the various uh, experiences happen and sometimes you, you get overwhelmed by them. But there, there's always a part that doesn't anymore. Like I notice in, in me that no matter what happens, there's, you know, and I can certainly feel upset or offended or exasperated by certain things, but there, but there's an awareness of that now. That the transcendent, that's the purity that I trust in, and and uh, practice with, develop. Mampawana, isn't it? It's like the the development, cultivating that state of pure awareness, trusting it. And so the emotions can be going all over the place. But then there's that awareness of that is not going all over the place. That's your refuge. I remember seeing this yeah, when I was in Australia years ago, this um, they showed a video, um, they had this uh, about um, uh, some Australian uh, psychiatrist who hypnotized four women, a kind of ordinary middle class white women. Uh, and um, and they kind of, what they took them back to previous lives and it was quite interesting. And then they one, when they, she was a, a doctor in Edinburgh about in 18, 1800s, 
a male doctor and they actually took her back to Scotland and, and she'd never been to, she was born in Australia and never, never been to Europe. And she could actually remember the medical school, what it would look like and, and all that. So it was quite interesting to see all these, these different, uh, this, uh, this hyp hypnosis and these people could remember their previous lives. And one was, uh, another one was a woman that had been a, uh, a, a Jewish child, a girl, at that time of Hitler. And, uh, and she, was, uh, she was locked up in a cupboard uh, during one of these uh, raids where they were going to Trying to get all the uh, take all the Jews and send them off to the uh, prison camps. And so, the little girl got locked up in a cupboard, and and she could see herself. And when this woman, this Australian woman, was regressed to this this life, you know, she said, "I see this little girl crying in the cupboards, and she can't get out. And she's crying and very upset, but." She can also see that there was something watching this girl cry. And so this, this sense of even in the, the midst of misery and deprivation and fear and, and all that. You know, if you, if you have a refuge, then you have a way to, to, to not be lost not be overwhelmed, not be deluded by the conditions that are taking place physically and emotionally. So can you, can you notice that? When you, like I say, when you're really stirred up, there's a there's a bit of you that is not stirred up, the awareness. <laughs> and even though your emotions are <laughs> there's that awareness of that. That's your refuge. And that you begin to trust in rather than than allow yourself to be continuously taken over by the emotional habits you have. And this isn't a way, this isn't suppressing them, it's not like denying emotions, but it's, it's accepting emotional experience, not judging it. This awareness doesn't judge it, it just knows it's like this. Not telling you you shouldn't be feeling like this, or you're stupid for having such emotions, that that's the, that's the old uh, intellect having a go at, go at you, having a go at you. Not that, but it's, uh, it's above that also. It's aware, that awareness includes both the intellectual judgments and the emotional conditions. They're very pure and something you can uh, truly trust. I'll leave you with that. <laughs>